Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. In The Dark Knight Rises Part 2, we're going to talk about how to start a revolution through servant leadership. We all have probably idolized Batman at some point in our lives. We want to be this magnanimous leader who doesn't kill, who's willing to sacrifice for the greater good, and who doesn't want any of the personal credit involved in any of that. So our central metaphor for Part 2 is going to be, what else? Rise. In this movie, we see this simultaneous rise happening, as we talked about in part one, where Bruce rises from the pit, then he throws the rope back down to pull out the people that are trapped in the pit. And then he goes out of that tiny little pit world that he's in, back to the larger world in Gotham, which is still kind of a trapped world, and he wants to carry that same hope to those people. And the way that he does it is not by being this central hero who saves everyone through his power and might, but he does it through upside down leadership. He sees himself at the bottom and he wants to create a wave that rides all the way to the top. And we'll contrast that wave to the fire that's rising that Bane and Talia are trying to create. One of the central themes that we're gonna see here in this rise metaphor is order versus chaos. So the evil people in The Dark Knight Rises are kind of masquerading around this fake idea of hope and order, and it's pretty thin, so we as the audience can see right through it, but it plays at something that's way deeper. This battle of order versus chaos in the universe that we all feel at certain times where order is really the thing that we want to win, but chaos seems to be masquerading around as order oftentimes. And we are fighting for what we believe to be order, and it turns out to just cause more chaos and pain and suffering. And so we kind of see a good example of that with the Clean Energy Project. This project represents hope, but it gets co-opted by Talia for disorder. There's this ideal state that we're trying to reach where we can have this clean energy and bring order to the world and yet underneath of it all, there's this ripping at the edges that's trying to create disorder. And so with that, we're going to try to build up this idea of a servant leadership flywheel. That by taking actions like Alfred and like Bruce, we too can start up the servant leadership flywheel in our own lives where we can start to fuel the cycles of change and wisdom and help others to be able to take the steps necessary to get out of their own pits and to help others out of their pits. So we're going to build on some of the concepts from part one in part two as we try to make a Batman model for servant leadership. Welcome to Wonder Tour. This is Brian. I'm here with Drew. We have a special guest, Derek Cobb, back from his extensive five-year tour of Europe, Scandinavia, and the subcontinent for another episode. That was all on Google Street View. Excellent. I'm reveling this morning in uh, the wordsmithing that's been going on while I've been gone, though. I've been very impressed with you guys. You're doing a great job. We learned from the best. Let's get right into it here. We had some really good stuff in that intro, and we're going to try to tease out a couple of pieces about this sort of co-opting order for disorder and vice versa. And this idea, one of the things I want to call back to what you said, even in our last episode, was that one of the powers of Batman is he could be anybody. He's masked, and so nobody knows who he is. There's just somebody in the city who is, you know, who who is potentially helping. 
And Bane provides an inversion of that, right? He says, okay, anybody could be the trigger man. Somebody's holding the trigger on this fusion reactor bomb, and anybody in the city could be that person. It's an inversion of it, but it's also a corruption of it, right? Because the that anybody is not like, oh, I'm going to start something great. It's like anybody could tear it all down. Anybody could completely burn the system to the ground, and you don't know who it's going to be. And that is a very, you know, it's a very nihilist version of the world, right? The system is so fragile or individual actors or it can be so disruptive. I'm going to give any person the opportunity to just burn it all down. And what we see is kind of this, you know, very classic struggle against, you know, good and evil. The justification for doing that is, oh, everything's corrupt. So the order deserves to be torn down. The current state of affairs is so terrible that we're just going to burn it to the ground. And that is that's the simple way of looking at the problems of the world, right? Like, oh, the system isn't working. People are telling you lies in public. We should just throw everything away and start over again, or maybe not even start over again. It's a very childish way of looking at how to address the complexity of the world and the the challenges of the pit that we're in. So what our heroes in this movie have to do is sort of find a more nuanced and a more collective way out of those challenges of corruption and disorder and despair. So what do we see happening here? What actions are our heroes finally having to figure out how to take? to get out of this disorder that threatens to spiral into worse disorder. Well, I want to maybe throw a little bit of a, an overall metaphor here, guys, is that pits are structural. Pits have order to them. So I want to throw that out, and I want to see how that fits into things, because there's something about how you need pits in order to progress, and I think that's just really breaking my brain right now. But I want to maybe talk about that just a little bit, because heroes need bad things to happen. Otherwise, they turn into Thor <laughs> and just sits around drinking yeah. beer and watching TV all day, right? Well, yeah, let's expand that out. So, you know, the pit metaphor is a prison in this case, right? And a prison is a, OK, well, this is one way we're going to establish orders. We're going to box everybody off into their little cage and we're only going to let them out to eat at specific times. Like it's a model of the world that prevents bad things from happening by not letting anything happen. That's the state that you impose if you fundamentally mistrust the people involved. If you think that the most likely thing that they're going to do is bad things and the more of them there are together, the more bad things will happen then that kind of becomes your world, right? And that's, you see that happen all the time in business, right? We're just gonna, we're gonna keep making new rules about the things that you're not allowed to do until everybody stops screwing up. How many of those rules, how many of those, you know, cage walls are preventing the, the people who are gonna try to do something good from doing anything? When you're mistrustful, when you believe the world is corrupt, when you believe that everybody else is not only lying, but selfish, then that's a logical reaction, but it only leads to one place. You only ever build pits. So what's the alternative? What does this movie suggest as the alternative to mistrusting everybody and either locking them in or giving them the power to burn it down? What we see is the character of Batman. And I know that we want to try to get to some of the other characters in the second half. But one of the great parts about Batman is his character. It's what we all aspire to be in a lot of ways, even through his failings, that he sees the good in people, even when they don't see it in themselves. Even in some of the villains and the people who are trying to disrupt the order, he still sees the good in them. He has this innate ability to, despite the amount of hits and blows that he takes, to not get bitter. And I want to contrast that a little bit to what we see from Talia and Bane, because they go through this experience early on in their lives being in the same exact pit that Bruce finds himself in. 
And they exit that pit extremely bitter at the world. They come to believe that human beings are inherently bad and that (laughs) the bad ones just need to be eradicated. But that's the solution because there's no saving the world other than just hitting the reset button on bad societies like Gotham and trying again. And that's not the approach that Bruce takes at all. Bruce's approach is and and is, is his parents approach. Right. And again, it fails sometimes. But it's this idea that we are going to keep believing in humans. We are going to keep empowering humans, even when they fail. And through that, that's how we rise. We rise when other people win, not by making more money, not by having the power to hit the reset button, but by continuing to empower each individual. This is a big thing for me here. Evil tends to operate at this grand scale, and it's tempting to do that, to operate at this huge system level. And at the system level, yeah, it might make sense to eradicate. But when you take it to the edges, to the human level, to the individual, that's when you have to have compassion. Drawing back to our compassion series when we talked about the Batman, we had this exact same conversation about the hero, the leader operates at the edges. They operate at the individual level as well as at the holistic level. And in order to be able to do that, I think it's almost a requirement that we have to believe in people, even when the people fail us and even when the people don't believe in themselves. Yes. Step one is you have to see the good in people. You have to believe in their potential and believe that you can empower them. So I'm going to ask the obvious question. Where does Bruce learn that? It's back to Alfred, right? So here's your what if for the episode. What if Talia has an Alfred? What if one of these characters has somebody that doesn't just teach them to survive, that doesn't just teach them to fight, but also teaches them to love? that also teaches them to forgive. What does that world look like? And how do we get more of that? (laughs) I was was thinking uh, just as a, I know I'm not supposed to be so rabbit hole-ish today, but (laughs) I was just thinking, I wondered how if uh, Talia had a nightmare problem where this lady shows up and tries to stab her (laughs) because she's she's the the same actress out of Inception. Anyway, just a a side note there. Because I started thinking about, you know, how if she had an Alfred, it would have to be like kind of an evil Alfred. And it kind of, you know, that guy would show up and be like, I know you can do your worst today and I believe in you. (laughs) So that's kind of what I was thinking of there as far as, you know, I don't know how evil thinks like that. Right. I don't think that they think like, well, I want to believe in the worst in people. I know that there's some people that I can break today. And well, you just go out there and you do your do your worst. Right. It just doesn't work, does it? Because it just falls apart. So I don't know. I just think that's interesting to try to do the converse of the hope and belief and to kind of subvert the expectations in that conversation. Because there's always all these arguments. Oh, the universe is so, you know, polar, right? You know, there's a positive and there's a negative and it all balances out. I don't really see evil prospering that much. One of the things that I think is very characteristic of evil, and I think this is really important to note, which is that a lot of times, Evil relies on certain narratives to be established. And the narrative to be established, number one, I think, almost every time is that you're outnumbered. And that one is playing out in this movie. Bane has an army, and you're outnumbered, and you're not going to win. So that's number one. And number two is that they're infinitely powerful, right? And that's another thing is, is that all you have to do is be scared, and you'll just lose, right? So I think that's really interesting, too. They, really, when it comes down to it, there's just there's not a whole lot holding evil together. And so when you have hope and belief, you have a lot more holding you together than evil ever had a chance to have. 
because evil is usually based on kind of like, well, I'm getting this and, you know, like it's usually money or it's some kind of power or something like that. And it's usually kind of fleeting because like once you get it, you're like, what's the big deal about this? You know, I get to order a few thugs around or whatever. And so I think there's something there about this contrast between good and evil and how there's this perception, this there's this projection that evil does. But it's almost always really flimsy because there's not really that many people involved in it in the end. Most people are just kind of like floating in that middle ground. Yeah, right? they're just along for the ride. Like, yeah, most of the people are yeah. sort of the indifferent majority. They're waiting to see which way the wind blows. But you're right. The negative emotions, those, you know, the, the evil motivations, right? They only lead one place. Like they inherently build on themselves. Like winning's only fun if you keep winning. And breaking things is only fun temporarily. And if you're still angry, then you just got to break more things. It never satisfies. And so you're forced into this spiral. You're forced into this pattern. Well, I would argue something here. I think Talia does have an Alfred and it's Rachel Ghoul. It's her father because her father still exists and her father founded evil, the League of Shadows, right? In, in this Batman universe, at least in the Nolan Batman universe, evil is the League of Shadows across the entire trilogy. And I would argue that the evil Alfred does believe in some things. Obviously, Bane believes in the fire that's rising and Talia believes in this clean energy project to the end that if it fails, you know, at least we can wipe everybody out <laughs> or something like that. And I think evil has this uneven belief. Evil definitely believes in itself. That's that's one thing. Evil is prideful. Absolutely. Raish has a very strong conviction that he is the antidote to everything. And that is carried in his daughter and also in Bane, in his followers, essentially, that they are the antidote to the world where Batman inherently is not the antidote. That's the whole point is Bruce can't be the antidote. So he has to pass on the Batman gene to other people. He has to pass it to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I can't believe we can never remember this guy's name, Blake, in the movie, Robin, whatever. <laughs> he has to pass it to Gordon. He has to pass it to Fox. He has to pass it to Selena. He has to try to pass the Batman gene to other people. This is really critical. He is not the originator of the Batman gene. He's not the original. He's not the founder of the Batman gene. He's trying to pass this gene on because he found it himself. Somebody else showed it to him. Alfred showed it to him. His parents showed it to him. Fox showed it to him, right? He's seen this before, and he's starting to see that the way to rise is not through fire. It's through people. It's through empowering other people to embody hope and belief in the way that the Batman symbol does. Yeah, so there's a realization here that you called out a little bit in the intro about this flywheel effect, about the idea that even if one person can be the symbol, the inspiration, the society doesn't move, the problems don't get addressed, the productive order doesn't arise. Unless you've got a lot of people all moving in the same direction. And that, going back to what Derek said, there's, you know, the, the contagion of hope and belief is the goal. Is that if you can demonstrate, like we've talked about in the past, the self-sacrifice of the magnanimous leader. If you can demonstrate the willingness to put yourself on the line in the service of a cause, that catalyzes a second person and a third person and a fifth person. And you're not making it about you, but somebody does have to take the first step. And so that's kind of what we see here is that the, the realization Bruce has is that the skillful action is not to solve all the problems yourself or to just, you know, sacrifice yourself in a glorious martyrdom, but to find the skillful thing to do that will catalyze other people along with you. And if you get enough people building up on it, you get enough people that were, you know, the, the police that were locked underground that like that really want to help, that are ready to help and they just don't have permission. They don't have a way to get out like. If you can unlock the energy of those people that want to help spin up the flywheel, then you can get to the point where 
it's not just the evil people keeping everybody down by this message of nihilism, like, oh, it's it's too scary and you can't trust anybody and the world's doomed anyway, so don't bother. That's what you have to break through. And then once people are rolling, once they believe, then suddenly you have much more power than you ever thought you did. So let's talk about the mountaintop moment that you suggested, Drew, of this important conversation between Selena and Batman when he's sort of deciding to go put himself out on the line again and why. Yeah, so we get to this moment once Bruce has returned to Gotham after he climbs out of the pit. And it's his first interaction with Selina Kyle. He's starting up this revolution. This is what we're going to kind of call the servant leadership flywheel. This is one of those moments where he's pushing energy into the loops of other people, into their growth loops, so that they can become magnanimous. And this entire movie, we see Selina Kyle just outwardly saying that she's only in it for herself. She keeps saying it. She keeps doing things that lead you to believe she's only in it for herself. She turns on Batman over and over again. Getting back to our first point, Batman sees the good in people. He could have cut Selina Kyle out so many times, and yet he keeps coming back to her and keeps seeing the good in her. And he keeps forgiving her when she doesn't feel like she probably deserves to be forgiven. And this is the start of this servant leadership revolution. The moment is very small here. It's this micro moment. And it's my favorite quote in the entire movie. You have Selena, who's going on this monologue, trying to get Bruce to leave with her. She says, you don't owe these people anymore. You've given them everything. And you have Batman on the other side. And he says, not everything. Not yet. And it's so amazing for me. Every time it like brings a tear to my eye watching that, because that is the leader that operates at the highest of levels and at the lowest of levels. Somebody who can say, not everything, not yet. It can be misconstrued so easily to think that that's the old Bruce. That's the same Batman who just rushed into Bane and got his back broken. He's like, yeah, I haven't died yet, so it's not over. But the thing is, there's a nuance to this. And the nuance is that he's willing to give up everything. He's willing to do the climb without the rope. But this time, he understands that it's not about him. It's about everybody else. And so he is on this mission to empower one person after another to do the right thing. He saves Gordon. He jumps in and saves the police officers with the bat. He encourages Selena to do the thing that she needs to do. And he's slowly but surely just watering the seeds of this servant leadership revolution here. And what we see is that it all starts to take form. Batman is not the end person who saves everybody here. Yeah, he kind of more or less defeats Bane. And yeah, he has to fly away with the nuke at the end. But really, it's all the other characters that have to play such a key role here. It's Gordon who has to block the transmitter. It's Joseph Gordon-Levitt who takes the kids and he he walks across the bridge and they blow the bridge on him, right? But he continues to take steps forward even when he's being shot at. And it's Selena who finally, finally, finally makes the turn when she's about to drive out of the tunnel and she decides to come back and fight for the good fight. And that moment is so amazing because you're like, yes, people can change. Yes, Batman was right. <laughs> yeah, so just like we talked about the last episode, you know, be thankful for your threats, right? Be thankful for the thing that, you know, that jolts you out of your stasis or that forces you to re-examine your priorities. The other thing is to be thankful for the inspirations, right? Like, look for the opportunities, look for the person that is that servant leader that it's demonstrating a way forward, that's building hope or reinforcing potential. But also, of course, look for those opportunities to do that yourself. Who do you know that needs somebody to believe in their potential even when they've failed over and over again? Who do you know that needs somebody to 
step up and be on the line with them and help move something off a of top dead center. Those opportunities are are out there and figuring out the skillful action and having the courage to let go of the rope is, you know, is is its own challenge. But that's this journey we're on is trying to figure out what does that look like? How do we model that in daily life, even when it's not, I've got to fly the nuke out over the ocean levels of danger. Well, and I think that's probably where we're at, right? Is that hope and belief in regular life is not that sexy. So sorry. It's just not. However, I, I think that If you can get people to envision a future where they are absolutely at their best and they can help others see that at the same time, I think you will do a lot for hope and belief. But again, it it can't be necessarily in a person. And I'm currently at that crossroads business-wise, career-wise, that kind of thing, where where you start thinking of like, who can I have people believe in and hope in? from a business point of view. And it's very challenging in order to do that because there could be somebody who comes in and says, well, no, I know that guy, or I know that I, you're, you're, you're just creating a caricature. Or, you know, if you make a, like a metaphorical, like leader, like in business, that'd be so weird, like a mascot or something, right? You have a mascot for your business. And let's say, I, I don't know, name me a business or whatever, Chuck E. Cheese. There we go. You know, it's like, oh, well, let's just be like Chucky, right? <laughs> it's just weird. It doesn't work. The core values of a stuffed mouse, like it doesn't make sense, right? And if you do it in any other business context, people won't take you seriously. So that's why I say that I really feel that hope and belief have to be principled and concepts and they have to be philosophical. They can't be ideologies. You can't create hope and belief and substantiate hope and belief out of ideological type. What I mean by ideological are things that are compartmentalized, right? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. You could be a big believer in carrots. I will spend my entire life teaching people about carrots. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't connect anything else, right? It's just weird. I think that, you know, you've got to have that overall view and you've got to kind of drive people towards, again, these principles and these ideals of hope and belief and that there is a better future. The better future that pulls them forward is who they could become. And how they, at that level, could also bring other people to that level and beyond. And I think that, to me, being more of a someone who is about human connection, I think that's how I look at it. I don't know if it's always the way somebody else looks at it. That's why Drew and I initially connected on a lot of these topics, which is because we care a lot about the human development aspect and why we're on here. And I think that's why you're on here too, Brian, is that you care a lot about the human development aspect. And it's not just a pure principles type thing, but it's it's more than that. It's the potential that someone could go beyond because of hope and belief. No, absolutely. The intention here of, you know, examining these stories is not because I am going to become Batman or I'm going to become Dr. Strange, right? (laughs) The intention of examining these stories is that we believe in human potential and we're looking for the power of the stories to point ways to what are the principles that we should believe in, not the individual humans. We're not here talking about how amazing Elon Musk is or whoever your hero of the moment is, right? Because those heroes eventually are human and eventually have negative as well as positive attributes. But the principles are still the principles and powerful stories are still powerful stories and magnanimous actions are still magnanimous actions. And so that's what we're trying to tease out here is what do those look like and how do you act skillfully in that world? 
And there are not many opportunities in your life to be Batman picking up the nuke in your custom helicopter and flying out over the ocean and walking away into the sunset, right? But there's a whole lot of options to be Alfred. There's a whole whole lot lot of of moments to be be with, yeah, to be with somebody else and to be brave enough to tell them the truth or kind enough to forgive them their actions and believe in their potential. Or, you know, like you said, Gordon, courageous enough to just stand up even when everybody else around you is corrupt. Those opportunities are there all the time. Yeah, or just to put the coat around the young Bruce Wayne. That is the tightly wound trilogy that we see here, that it all Mm -hmm. comes full circle from that moment in Batman Begins, where Gordon puts the coat around Bruce, and then Bruce comes back and empowers Gordon here in part three, and it's beautiful. And I want to wrap in one final concept from my perspective here, that we are all Batman. Because it's easy to think that, like we said, we don't want to put our hope in people, but we do want to put them in principles. And that's what Batman's supposed to represent. Batman is supposed to represent principles that despite all the evil in the world, despite all the disorder, we're not going to kill people. We're not about that. Despite all of the disorder, we're not going to give up. We're not going to just flatten everything and restart. No matter how many times Batman gets knocked down, he's going to continue to believe in other people, even the bad guys. He continues to believe in them that there is still hope for that individual. We're on a wonder tour, so I just want to say we're all Batman. And the challenge here is not to stand up and be Batman and carry the weight for everybody else. The challenge here is to do what Bruce does at the end and try to get to a point where maybe you don't need to run away to Italy in that final scene that we see. But Bruce's plan here is to spawn other Batman. That's what he's trying to do, right? And he does it. He does it with Robin. He does it with Gordon. He does it with Fox. He does it with all these other people. He leaves Gotham in capable hands because it's not about him. The whole time it was about the principles. And he has learned about those principles. He has processed them collaboratively with other people through his journeys. And then he has seeded those principles back out into the world because he knows that other people collectively can do better than he can do by himself. I think it's the wisdom of seeing your life as a series of seasons. And that is not a TV sitcom. (laughs) But it's just that you have these seasons, these seasons where you are playing Batman in this particular place, right? And you can see yourself right out of that, too. And I think that's the thing. Don't get too married to the fact that you're Batman. And there's going to be plenty of Banes to encounter along the way. And honestly, I've gotten to the point where I've been like, this is Bane 3,656. Like, that's where I'm at right now. I'm just like, this is just another Bane. Whether it is a system or a person or an ideology, whatever it may be, it's just another Bane that's going to shape you in your role as Batman. So think about it iterative, right? You know, you really want to think about how your hope and belief iterate over your lifetime. And so you also have a hope and belief cycle that you have gone through, and this is in the thousands probably as well. Who knows? I don't know how fast we iterate. Some sources say every seven years, all your cells are brand new, right? And you also go through kind of a macro season in your life every seven years. Now, that varies depending on how hard you're pushing. I would argue some people are in the second season of their life, which is somewhere around high school or something, right? That is definitely a thing. They are Batman in that lower iteration level, right? And so their hope and belief is at that iteration level. It's just really like how much have you grown? How much do you want to grow? How bad do you want to be Batman, right? I think that's kind of what we're saying here is 
that'll determine how hard you lean into these principles and how effective you are in bringing others along with that Batman gene, as you were noting before, Drew. I think that's my, my sum total of things. I think we definitely all need the Banes, right? We need the Banes. They are there to change us and grow us and take us <laughs> along in our journey as Batman. <laughs> awesome. Well, I don't know. I think that's a good point to pin this episode. You got any key takeaways you want to talk about, Drew, before we wrap it up? Oh, that was awesome. So we learned to see the good in people, to be quick to forgive and slow to become bitter so that we don't become like Talia and Rachel Ghoul. We once again learned that we need to let go of the rope and put our whole selves into something. <laughs> As Batman said, not everything, not yet. We want to believe in principles and believe in people. We want to be at both ends of that spectrum simultaneously. That is magnanimous leadership. Fleeing to one end of the spectrum or to the other can quickly become problematic. And lastly, we're all Batman. We're all Batman. And that's a pretty cool thought to leave us on. Excellent. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks, everyone, for joining us once again. Join us next week. We will come back and we're going to venture into the anime world with a movie called Princess Mononoke, which if you haven't seen, you absolutely should. In the meantime, enjoy yourselves. Take care of yourselves this holiday season. And just remember, as always, as we've seen, character is destiny.